Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Ghost of a Chance, written by Nick Korolev. A tongue-in-cheek, clever and funny take on politics. Frank Barnes, a former professor and senator from West Virginia, is running for President of the United States. Tired of the corruption and illegal acts perpetrated by the current president, He's determined to make a difference. Behind in the polls, Frank hasn't a ghost of a chance of winning until a real ghost, the ghost of Teddy Roosevelt, makes a startling appearance. A book bought for Frank's birthday, Alice in Wonderland, came from Teddy's personal library, and his ghost is attached to that book. When the book is stolen by a rival candidate, Teddy must go to extreme lengths to get it back into Frank's hands. With Teddy's help, Frank's numbers begin to rise in the polls, but not without hilarious and disastrous consequences. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Ghost of a Chance. Chapter 1 Believe you can, and you're halfway there. The person who succeeds is not the one who holds back, fearing failure, nor the one who never fails, but rather the one who moves on in spite of failure. Theodore Roosevelt There was nothing that hinted of anything unusual that Saturday afternoon. An early flush of autumn color had begun to show in a bucolic valley interspersed with well-kept farms, orchards, and traversed by a few paved country roads and a major interstate highway surrounded by the high blue Allegheny Mountains that rolled off into the distance like ocean waves. A modest stone farmhouse encircled by tall oaks and fenced pastures showed no signs of human occupation, except for a silver Subaru outback parked by the wood barn behind the house. Inside, in the high-ceilinged, semi-darkened den, A moosehead stared down in regal majesty at the large, flat-screen TV opposite him. Overflowing floor-to-ceiling bookcases covered the remaining three walls. Two shadowy figures sat on a brown leather couch watching the West Virginia Marshall football game. Because of their clothes, they wouldn't be mistaken for regular farmers taking a break from chores. The taller of the two was freshman Senator Frank Barnes, lanky with mild good looks, dressed in a West Virginia sweatshirt and jeans. The other was his best friend, Mike Rooney, with a thatch of unruly auburn hair and quite comfortable in his red flannel shirt and jeans. He was a videographer and creator of Frank's campaign commercials for his presidential run. In front of them, half ignored on a coffee table, was an open box of partly eaten pizza, a large bowl of popcorn, and several open cans of beer. Both men were totally immersed in the game, waiting for the political commercials to air. On the screen, the ball flew over the Marshall goalposts. The referee blew his whistle and signaled. Immediately, the announcer enthused, And there is a field goal for West Virginia. 
Then the scene shifted to a commercial. A distinguished, trim, middle-aged man with a little gray at the temples, the scandal-ridden incumbent Republican President Ronald Tate, who looked as if he could be the father of a superhero, walked down the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. His voiceover announced, I'm Ronald Tate, and I approve this message. Bullshit alert, Mike yelled out as the montage of scenes rolled on. Frank sat quietly watching, hoping Mike's ad for him would follow. The montage first showed a shootout on the Mexican-Texas border between the Border Patrol and illegal aliens. Then there was a scene of illegal aliens surrendering to the Border Patrol. It was quickly followed by a Hispanic housekeeper serving rich white kids a snack. Lastly, a Hispanic building contractor at work at a high-rise filled the scene. With the images came the hateful narrative in a sonorous male voice. While Ronald Tate has kept our borders strong, time and again George Moreno has voted against more stringent measures to close the borders. Time and again he has voted for full benefits for illegal aliens already in the country and working full-time in jobs that should be yours. George Moreno, not good for you. Not good for America. You wouldn't dare show the deportation camps, Mike yelled at the flat screen. It was immediately followed by another political ad. In a hard hat, Democratic Senator George Moreno of Arizona, a handsome middle-aged Hispanic man, was walking along a construction site of a high-rise office building with several contractors. He announced... I am George Moreno, and I approve this message. Here we go again, Mike said as another montage of scenes flooded the screen. First came a scene of auto workers assembling a car at a plant. Then a view of miners headed to work at a coal mine. That was followed by a corporate president in a plush office sitting back in his chair and looking out his huge window at a cityscape. A woman's pragmatic voice narrated, Auto workers' average salary $60,000. Mine workers' average salary $40,000. CEO's average salary $3 million plus bonuses. Ronald Tate's senatorial record shows he introduced six bills meant to break the unions that protect American workers. And as a president bought and paid for by corporations, he signed three into law claiming corporations are people too. Ronald Tate, wrong for the American worker and wrong for America. Then, finally, Frank's ad followed as if an afterthought by the station. Frank walked past the reflecting pool by the Washington Monument. It was summer. His sleeves were rolled up, his suit coat slung over his shoulder, and he looked at the audience with an earnest expression on his face. Finally, Mike said. Frank stared at the screen like a deer in the headlights, his stomach knotted in anticipation. His own voice started the narration. I am Senator Frank Barnes, and I am as tired as you of the business-as-usual attitude in this town. It's time to end corporate greed, insider trading, abuses of our civil rights, 
destruction of our environment, lobbyists, and special interests running a government bought with their money. As the progressive senator from West Virginia, in my first year in this town, I've introduced two bills to end the special interest stranglehold on our government, only to see them voted down by bipartisan obstructionists in Congress. But you and I can end their hold on America. A vote for me is a vote for real change. It's time to clean house. Frank stopped by a dumpster. I am Frank Barnes, and I approve this message. A printed message appeared at the bottom of the screen, paid for by Progressives United. As the football game came back on, Frank clicked the volume down on the remote. He jumped up and shouted enthusiastically, Mike, that was awesome. Love it. Better than the last one we did. You did a fantastic job of filming and it sucked, Mike said, flopping against the couch and looking disgusted. Frank was shocked by his friend's reaction and sat up. But the light was all wrong. Made you look like Ronald Reagan. Well, a younger version. What? Gotcha. Mike grinned and sat up. Letting go with a handful of popcorn, Frank pelted his buddy, then burst out laughing. Mike held up his arms to block the worst of it, the rest scattered over the coffee table and carpet. Mike went on. All right, it was good, but with that debate at Madison Square Garden in three weeks, we've got to do even better. You know they're both outspending you, and what dear Andrea, your campaign manager, says, I know, I know. He sighed, losing all interest in the game. I'm dead last in the polls, even with both the Green Party and the Libertarians out of the running because of scandals. I've got to get more aggressive, more flamboyant. Packaging is as important as the message, especially for a third-party candidate with only grassroots support and a tiny ad budget. But I can't bullshit the public. They've had enough. I've had enough, or I never would have jumped into politics. I had a nice, quiet job as a history professor at WVU. And now, barely two years of a less-than-stellar experience as a new senator. Couldn't get anything accomplished. Thought I could really make a difference. Honeymoon over. Now I've jumped from the proverbial frying pan into the fire, agreeing to run for the presidency with all that grassroots support and the nomination. I feel like I'm letting them all down. Don't be so hard on yourself. Andrea is hard enough on you. But she's right. They'll cut me to ribbons at the debate no matter what facts I present on their dismal records and billionaire backers or things I promise voters. First on their list will be my win in the Senate race only because the people hated the Republican and Democrat candidates and protested by voting me in. Because you're honest and not just another sleazy billionaire businessman or corporate lawyer with an agenda to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. And don't tell me there hasn't been class wars going on in this country from the get-go. You're a history professor. I read your doctoral thesis, remember? Stop it, Mike. You're making me sound like Robin Hood. Okay, okay, I'm simplifying things too much. This is Saturday. You're supposed to be recouping from campaigning in Ohio and Arkansas. And besides, it's getting close to your birthday. That's not till the end of next month, October 27th. No matter, I got you something. Figured we could celebrate in peace today while we had the chance. With the election less than three months away, things will get crazy real fast in this campaign, I'm afraid, with us trying to play catch-up in the polls. 
On the floor beside the couch sat his old, beat-up Army surplus knapsack. He reached into it and pulled out a thick, book-sized package wrapped in newspaper and tied with a string. He handed it to Frank, who took it and grinned. "'Happy birthday, old man!' <laughs> "'I'll only be turning thirty-six. Thanks. Fancy wrapping.' he said, and laid it on the coffee table next to the pizza box and grabbed a slice of pizza. Well, aren't you going to open it? I promise you'll like it. Frank put the pizza down after taking a bite and picked up the package. He pulled off the wrapping as he quickly chewed and swallowed the pizza. It was two books. One was a new biography of Theodore Roosevelt and the other was a very old copy of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland in a stained leather cover. He stared in surprise and then thumbed through the biography. Well, did I do good? Mike asked, grinning from ear to ear. Wow, don't know what to say besides thanks, Frank smiled at him. I know Roosevelt is a favorite president of yours and didn't think you had the latest bio. The old book has a big surprise inside. Take a look. Frank put the bio on the coffee table and carefully opened the old leather-bound book. On the blank page across from the title page was the signature of Theodore Roosevelt. He inspected it closer, rubbing his hand over the leather cover, and leafed through the pages with his mouth open in total disbelief. Holy shit! Where did you find this? An old bookstore in Greenwich Village last time I was in New York City. The clerk didn't know T.R. signed it, got a good deal. Should feel guilty, I suppose, for not telling her. But hell, people can pick up Picassos at yard sales. Frank's eyes suddenly widened. I wouldn't quite swear to it, but I think this leather is pigskin. Mike gave him an insipid grin. Well, you won't have to worry about Muslim terrorists stealing it. Ha <laughs> ha, good one, but you don't get it. Get what? That it's a book that belonged to Teddy Roosevelt? No, not that. It belonged to Teddy, all right, but it's part of his pigskin library, the one his sister Corinne gave to him so he could read while he was on safari in Africa. He was a voracious reader. It should be with the rest of the collection in the T.R. Gallery in the Pusey Library at Harvard. Wonder how it got in that bookstore. Well, it's yours now. I think Teddy would be proud that it's with a kindred spirit who loves books and shares the same birthday. I think he would like... A booming voice burst out of nowhere. Stop calling me Teddy! Both men froze. Frank dropped the book from lifeless fingers. The book floated off the floor to hover in front of his nose. The voice ranted on. You will address me as the Colonel, or Colonel Roosevelt, and not that vulgar and outrageously impertinent moniker, Teddy, despite its popularity with the public. A full-bodied apparition of Theodore Roosevelt materialized into existence in front of Frank, holding out the book. A scream of pure terror echoed through the house as Frank and Mike scrambled out of their seats to tumble over the padded backrest, landed behind the couch, and ducked down. Frank was never sure which of them screamed. Arms braced over the couch, Roosevelt leaned forward and peered at them and said, 
You are both pitiful. Your campaign, Senator Barnes, is in need of some major help. Do you want it or not? Stepping back, Roosevelt put the book on the table, folded his arms over his chest, and scowled at them. Mike was the first to speak in a squeaky, low voice. Are you seeing? Yes, we're having the same hallucination, Frank answered in the same low, squeaky voice. They fell silent while Roosevelt rambled on as he walked around the room. Poppycock! Now get back over here! I know how strange this must be. It is rather strange for me, too. Last I remember, I went to bed feeling rather poorly. Apparently died in my sleep, and now I'm here in the library with a strange glowing box on the wall and a young senator and his friend partaking of beer. He paused as he glanced at the pizza box. I see Gennaro Lombardi's pizza has become a popular food. He got the first license to sell it on Spring Street in Lower Manhattan in 1905. Still, this is obviously not heaven. Frank made his way around the couch and stood as close as he dared to the ghost. No, uh, Colonel Roosevelt, it's not. You're in my family's home I inherited in Matthias, West Virginia. He pointed to his friend. That's my best friend, Mike Rooney, a very talented videographer who directs and films my televised campaign ads. California Senator Ernie Flanders, my vice presidential running mate, is campaigning in Maine. Couldn't be here. Mike slowly stood, his face pale. Well, now that that has been settled, it appears I have unfinished business to reconcile and will not rest until I do. Roosevelt looked them up and down in an appraising manner. Do you want my help in your flagging campaign or not, Senator Barnes? Or must I resort to haunting? The American people deserve better than that putrid swamp of leeches that presently has the gall to consider themselves leaders. Frank shot a questioning look at Mike still standing behind the couch. Mike rolled his eyes, grinned, and shrugged. It was obvious he didn't want to get too close to the ghost or be of much help at all at this point. "'How do you intend to help?' Frank asked, gathering the shreds of his courage. "'Why, I coach you. Strengthen your weaknesses.' Roosevelt smiled broadly and gestured toward him with his right hand palm up. "'Give you a spine, boy. Add energy. You have a contract with the American people.' The American people are slow to wrath, but when it is once kindled, as it has been by these fraudulent fools in power, it burns like an all-consuming fire, and you must catch that energy and fan the flame. We can little afford to tolerate a dishonest man in public service as a coward in the army. Frank was stunned into silence. Mike broke into applause. That was great, Colonel. Frank, if you... He went silent as Frank and Roosevelt looked at him coldly. Frank turned to Roosevelt. Okay, Colonel Roosevelt, you're on. He instinctively held out his hand. Roosevelt took it and shook it heartily. Frank winced as much from the strength of something that was supposed to be ethereal but solid as he and the bone-biting chill of it.
Bully! Bully for you, Roosevelt said. We will start when you are ready. I will be uh, around. Still have to figure a few things out and need to catch up on a few things at the Library of Congress. Put that book in a safe place. You must keep it with you so I can find you. Call when you need me. Roosevelt faded out. Wait, Teddy! Frank burst out. Roosevelt, a frown on his face, popped back in. I told you don't call me Teddy! Sorry, Frank said, feeling a bit sheepish. Had to get your attention. You don't have to go to the Library of Congress. We've come a long way with technology since your time. You can access anything you need to know through the Internet and a computer. Confusion settled on Roosevelt's face. Ah, uh, what? Through a what? You're speaking in riddles. Colonel, you will love this. Follow me to my office. Frank headed out of the den to a wide hall, glancing back to see Roosevelt right behind him with Mike following, but hesitating long enough to grab a small digital camera from his knapsack. Along the hall, they passed walls of landscape paintings and entered a room that looked like a library that had exploded. In the center was a large, messy oak executive desk, on which sat a new desktop computer with flat-screen monitor and a compact printer-scanner-fax machine and a workspace full of scattered papers. On top of a pile of papers was a laptop. The floor was covered with stacks of newspapers, campaign posters, and corrugated boxes full of miscellaneous campaign items. One entire wall was covered in a floor-to-ceiling bookcase full of political and historical books. Another wall had a collection of taxidermied deer heads, a wild turkey, and six game fish, all belonging to his father, except one smallish six-point buck, Frank's first. Over here. Excuse the mess, Frank said as he led Roosevelt to the desk computer, but the ex-president was a bit distracted. I must say this is an interesting room, Senator Barnes, though it is in need of some organizing. He joined Frank at the desk as Mike came in the room and started snapping a few digital photos. The flash sparked. Roosevelt looked over at him scowling. There will be no picture-taking without my permission, Roosevelt said. The last thing we need is for the opposition to get wind of what is going on here. Mike quickly checked over his camera and frowned. Damn, a simple stop that would have sufficed. Battery's completely drained. He stuck the camera in his pocket and joined them at the desk. Have a seat, Colonel, and I'll show you how research is done on the Internet, Frank said. Roosevelt made himself comfortable at the desk in the padded swivel chair. How's he going to learn how to work a computer in a couple of minutes? They didn't have, Mike started. Mr. Rooney, Roosevelt said, puffing up a bit and scowling at him. I happen to have a photographic memory and need to be shown something only once. And I speed read, often a whole book before breakfast. Not that I eat any more, and I miss that. Anyway, I am capable of reading three to five books a day, depending on what type they are. I am a part of everything that I have read. Thus, I am very interested in this machine and will have no trouble comprehending it, so don't worry. 
Wow, sorry, Teddy did not know that. Then don't call me Teddy, Roosevelt snapped peevishly, the scowl on his face deepening for a moment. Sorry, sir, replied Mike shamefacedly. Proceed with the lesson, Senator Bonds, Roosevelt said, turning his full attention back to Frank. Frank leaned over the keyboard and worked on the computer, standing next to Roosevelt as he explained things. Roosevelt watched his every move with great interest. You turn it on here. This thing is called a mouse. It operates that little arrow you see on the screen. You click this on the mouse when you want it to take you to a site that the arrow causes to highlight when it points to it. This keyboard is exactly like the typewriter you're used to. This page is called a search engine. You put the arrow here and type in this space what you're looking for. If you want to get back to this search page, you just click this back arrow up here at the top. That's about it. Any questions? Not at this moment, Senator Bonds. Roosevelt smiled, looking quite satisfied. This seems to be quite an amazing machine. Now, let's see. He dived right into a history site, doing everything perfectly. Frank and Mike stared at him in open-mouthed awe. This is stupendous, Roosevelt said. What I could have accomplished with one of these. You two go back and watch that football game on that glowing picture. I am fine here and have much to do. Well, you know where we'll be then, Frank said, and headed out of the office with Mike right next to him. They walked along the hall in silence. This one-way trip into the Twilight Zone was all so crazy. Frank looked over at Mike. God, I can't believe this. T.R.'s ghost here in my house. With a worried look on his face, Mike grabbed Frank's shoulder and they stopped. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! In all the excitement we forgot! Mike cried. Andrea! They both said in unison. Frank couldn't believe he forgot about her. She was such a vital part of their team. She would never understand or even believe this new reality. It had to be handled delicately. Don't say a word about this. I'll handle it. I have an appointment in the city office with her tomorrow after lunch. You handle it? We're both going to come off like total nutcases no matter what you say. I said I'll handle it. Just trust me. There is no way out of this gracefully. Maybe I'll take her to lunch. My treat soften the blow. Good luck with that, Mike rolled his eyes. That night, Frank hardly slept at all. He would start to doze off when his eyes would pop open and he was wide awake looking at his alarm clock on the nightstand every half hour. Once he got out of bed and padded quietly downstairs to look in his office, only to find the ghost of the 26th president in the flickering light of the monitor staring at it transfixed as he moved the mouse. Frank couldn't help thinking his own political career was about as dead if things didn't improve in this eleventh hour of campaigning. He hauled himself back upstairs to his bedroom and flopped on the bed too exhausted to sleep. The alarm rang far too early. He wanted to hit the snooze button, since his brain felt like a wet dish rag. Yawning, he dragged himself out of bed and took a hot shower that made him feel somewhat revived. 
Once dressed in business casual, a tweed jacket over a sports shirt and good jeans, his next stop was the kitchen. Two cups of black coffee and a blueberry muffin later, he rushed around, grabbed the pigskin-bound book, and put it in his briefcase and headed out the back door. Still half asleep, he walked across the barnyard and slid the door open, revealing the new black Ford Escape. He started a conversation with himself to rehearse what he would say to Andrea. Andrea, we have a new person on our team. No, Andrea, this is going to be a little hard to explain. No, Andrea, you know that show Ghost Hunters? No. He opened the driver's door, put the briefcase on the passenger seat, got in and drove out of the barn and stopped. Then he got out, closed the barn door, and got back in the car. He gunned the engine and drove off down the driveway for the two hours plus commute to DC. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Ghost of a Chance. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.